Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Hey, everybody. Everything's fine. Ladies and gentlemen. Everything's fine. In honor of the Iraq war, the first war, major war of my lifetime, we got him. We got him. Devontae Smith at number 10. And if you're still hating on Howie Roseman, I understand it. But if you can't even give Howie Roseman a nice golf clap, I'm not asking for an albatross, an eagle, a hole-in-one clap. Just a nice little, hey, 10-footer putt. Good job, Howie. Because that man read this draft to a T. Basically, he traded a third-rounder for Miami's first next year and got the Heisman Trophy winner. How awesome is that? Who would have thought that going into this draft? And all the pessimistic people, I don't understand why you go into something. Maybe it's for social media or the Twitter or, or something like that where it's like, oh, I can't believe we're going to go in here. How he's going to ruin my night. Like, what fun is it to go in thinking Something is going to ruin your night. If when the schedule comes out in a couple of weeks, you're going to be like, "Oh, four and twelve. I I want to be four and twelve. I want to root for a four and twelve team. Who wants to do that? Just find ten fucking wins and shut up. Or seventeen games. Find sure. Find ten and seven, eleven and seven. I don't know anymore. You better be smiling ear from ear if you're an Eagles fan. Ear. To ear. I haven't felt this comfortable. I haven't felt this happy about a pick since Lane Johnson at number four, I want to say. I can't tell you how happy I am today. Tonight. I'm recording this. Listen, I bought a couple IPAs. Let's call a spade a spade, okay? And the spade is this guy's a little off the ones and twos. But he's having a great time. And he was planning on only drinking a couple of them because, you know, I want to do this pod. I wanted to, you know, maybe write some shit. I haven't written anything yet. I'll write that tomorrow. I finished the six-pack, okay? Well, I'm five and a half down, okay? I just, I just, I'm so happy. I'm just a happy guy right now. Like, like, how can you not be? Don't listen to the negative people tomorrow. Don't watch Good Morning Football tomorrow. Don't, don't listen to Gattoli tomorrow. Don't listen to Kincaid. Don't listen to Ike Reese. Don't listen to uh, the midday guys, uh, Salchunas and, um, and, and the Bagster. Don't listen to Missinelli and, and, and whoever he's got over there. Don't listen to uh, John. Is it John Runyon? I don't listen to sports radio, so I don't know. Don't listen to anything negative tomorrow. Have fun. Take your Friday off. I'm going to say it's going to be 80 tomorrow. I haven't checked the weather, but it's been very nice in the last couple of days. A little humid. A little humid. Um, it's just, just enjoy your Friday. Just enjoy your Friday and be happy that Howie just fleeced not only 6 through 11, but the New York Giants making an interdivisional trade with the Dallas Cowboys, the hated rival. There's one thing. First of all, the Devontae Smith rock, paper, scissors, shoot game. He must have taken Nick Sirianni to the woodshed. 
But I think there's something that we have to talk about that I don't think a lot of people were to talk about. We have to start giving us some thank yous. The first thank you. Thank you, Jeff McLean, for just giving it to Howie. Ever since he made fun of your stupid gloves that looked like you were rubbing your hands over, over a trash can that was lit on fire because you honestly did look homeless. If you haven't seen that video, I think Crossing Broad had it. It's just hilarious of Doug and Howie laughing at, at Jeff McLean. And then thank you for your article today where you said Andy Wydell would have a more prominent role and he would be considered more than, than he has in the past. I, I read through the article really quickly. I probably got through halfway. I'm not, a, I'm not a strong reader. I'll never claim to be a good reader. I'll never be a good attention to detail kind of guy. I will never, as long as this podcast is around, I can promise you I'll never be good at attention to detail. I want to thank also the trio, the big three, of Shukapadia, Bo Wolf, and Zach Berman from The Athletic from their deep dive into the, I don't know, how do you want to describe it? The, the shit show? The, I don't know, let's just do shit show. because Like I said, a couple IPAs deep. The synonyms are escaping me. I just want to thank those guys. Because I know for a fact, Howie is under the height of six foot, and I'm a six five man who played a lot of basketball growing up with a lot of point guards who are from the five six to the five ten range, and short man syndrome is a real thing. You read everything about you, you hear everything about you it gets to you a little bit more than it would get to people who are six foot and above. As a six, five guy, I have had the most unwarranted respect ever from random people. You just, for some reason, I'm not too physically imposing either. So, but anyway, I've got more unwarranted respect for no reason for being above six, two. There is no doubt in my mind between Alec Hallaby, between Zach, uh, between, sorry, Zach, between Howie Roseman, between that whole organization with Jeffrey Lurie, they sat back and listened to that article and listened to the Jeff McLean article and listened to any other articles that I'm sorry if I, I haven't really sourced anyone. Those are the two ones that stick out to me. That legitimately, they are as important to this draft, those four guys, as anyone in that Eagles organization because I think they had to stick to their guns and actually trust their scouts and trust their assistant GMs and trust their analytics people and trust every single coach that they hired. Now, listen, we could still go eight and eight. We could still go six and 11. This 17 game show is going to fuck me up. We can go whatever is a bad record with 17 games. We could go whatever is a good record with 17 games. I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is the guy. I'm not saying Devontae Smith is the guy, but is a great showing from Howie, and I think it is a great pick. I know people are worried about the weight. I know people are worried about, is he going to be able to get off the line? I know people are worried he's too small, but holy shit, that guy catches anything within his arm's length and his arms 
are hum- are long, humongous. I'll, I'll call him humongous. He gets off the line. He's played the best cornerbacks the NCAA has to offer over his time in the SEC. And that's a fact. And he went up against a top 10 pick, Patrick Sertan, in practice all the time. Be happy. Enjoy this happiness. Because I am smiling ear to ear, and I hope you can tell that through your earbuds, your headphones, your computer, whatever the hell you're listening on. Holy shit, that rock, paper, scissors shoot game must have been awesome. If we can if we can get the JFK film, we can get we can get that film one day. They should release that film. That'll do a million hits easy. I am so excited. I, I don't I, I think I think Roger Goodell could come up and just fart into the mic for the next ten picks that the Eagles have, and I'd be happy. And like I said, I don't think Jalen Hurts is the guy, and I was okay with them trading back. But how he read this draft as well as the GM has ever read a draft in the history of NFL drafts. And I know people listening to that are like, you got to be kidding me. But it's right, baby. It is so right. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. I didn't even tease who's on today. And it's an awesome interview. I'm going to tell you, from the Water Boys to Everything's Fine, this is a top five interview I've ever done. Dick Girardi, 35 years, Philly.com. We go over all the uh, horses from the Kentucky Derby this weekend. I just give him details. Basically, I am the coach, and I put the ball on the tee, and Dick Girardi's that kid who's way too old to be like six years old but he's just humongous and he just takes a whack at it and he just hits home runs every time because he's just so, I guess his mind is just so much more conceptually ahead of, of all the other kids he's playing with. That's how good it is. It's just me saying, Hey, what do you think of uh, essential quality? Hey, what do you think of rock your world? Hey, what do you think of Chuck? And he just goes off. He, he's the, he's the rain man of, of horse, of, of horse racing. I mean, he legitimately made me, I have so many bets I can't wait to make going into Saturday. So Dick Girardi, the Hall of Famer, and we don't even just talk about horse racing. He has an awesome uh, Muhammad Ali story that I'm not even going to tell you about and spoil it for you. Wait till that. And then he also has one personal question about why can't Temple uh, recruit Philly guys to, you know, top recruit Philly guys to stay in Philly. And he's got a really good answer for that. So stick around. I'm telling you, top five interview we've ever done between Everything's Fine, Water Boys, um, any other interview I've ever gone on for a job, any other interview that uh, I've ever talked to when uh, I was on a first date is a top five interview. Hold on a second. I'm getting a call. And I'm getting a call from someone who is not only dear to my heart, is dear to the Philadelphia sports landscape's heart. The biggest hater of Howie Roseman has once hoped the Eagles go 0-16 for the 2021 season. I've got Mad Mike on the line, Mike from KOP. What's up, buddy? Hey, how you guys doing? Okay. Uh, I'm how actually hoping they, I'm hoping, they go, I'm hoping they go 0-17 for the 2020. <laughs> there was a lot of silence from you as Howie just put a beat down on the draft. 
So actually, I so I have a toddler, right? In the last few <laughs> nights, I have not gotten a lot of sleep. So I fell asleep through all of this. So I just kind of woke up and I saw this all happen. And all right, so I don't hate the pick. First, I mean, first reactions, yes, first reactions. I don't hate it, but at the same time, like this was the third of that group of receivers. Like he was the the guy that everybody was like the most wary of of that group of receivers and you had to trade back up just to get him so at least he wasn't quitty pay mike they traded basically a third rounder to get a first round in 2022 from the dolphins Mm -hmm. and a heisman trophy winner and and you're not happy I, I'm, it's not that I'm not happy. I just don't know enough about this guy. Or and and one right wide good. receiver, one wide receiver doesn't a team make right? Like I mean, it's, you have it's a stepping stone. It's a stepping stone, but for the last five years, you've blown every draft pick you had. So one out of like sixty draft picks doesn't make a lot of difference to me, right? I don't think after all the five years, he's blown a lot of draft picks. I mean, he's blown a lot. He's blown, blown a lot, lot but he hasn't blown all of them. The Carson Wentz one was nice until about le- a bit six months ago. Yeah, the, when he uh, drafted a guy, he didn't need to draft. You're, how are you doing this? How are you doing this? How am I doing what? How are you, how are you finding a way to put a negative spin on this? I mean, it's not that hard if, if you really think about it. Like, <laughs> I mean... If you think about it, the, the Eagles and Howie Roseman have done everything they possibly can do to, like, you know, make make their star quarterback at the time unhappy, not put talent on the field, not draft the right talent, do everything wrong just because they thought, like, oh, well, analytics or we're smart, we know what we're doing. Like, yeah, of course I'm, like, jaded Like at this point. What, what am I supposed to be like? Oh, rainbows, puppies puppy dogs and gumdrops it's it's awesome no this 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 team is frustrating and so is the front office life's so. frustrating well i know but that's why i bet and go on sports talk and bet and spew my venom <laughs> to everybody <laughs> do you still hope they go oh and 16 oh and 17 i, I guess I, you know what i'd actually just i i actually do hope that they have a bad season and i and you know i i really i I love the Eagles, but I hate Howie Roseman, and I hate Jeffrey Lurie, and I can't fire an owner, but I can fire a GM, get a, a GM fired. And, like, I just think that this guy has a record of not knowing how to draft properly, right? So that is the issue, and that is a huge part component of being a GM. So I, I just think – you know, I wish you would have been, you know, fired instead of sent across the Novacare. I wish we had a different GM in here. I think the whole 2017 was just, you know, like luck. You know, they they got lucky. And that's sometimes all you need is luck. You yeah, need luck but, all the time. You need luck yeah. in life. You know what? I, I, I make my own luck. Like, I, and, like, I don't make stupid decisions. I, I try to make the smartest decision I possibly can. Yeah, but, can. like, when you look at it, like, there's, like, the first round. It's, like, a 50% bust rate. There's only, like, five Hall of Famers in every draft if it's, yeah. if it's a good draft. And when What's I, the Eagles bust rate? Like, 90%? It's not good. It's yeah. not good. It's, it's not. I mean, you look at the 2017 draft. It, it's not good. You're not, you're not wrong. I do want to know is what would make Mike happy – 
Howie Roseman has to stay, though. What would make you happy? Would you ever get back on the, on the Howie Roseman train? Like, what would he have to do? I, I don't think I, – I think if he came out and said, hey, man, I did a lot of stupid things, and I really – You just wanted to be like – you, you just wanted to be like a human being. You don't want to be like a yeah. smarmy well, individual. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it, dude, first yeah. of all, just the new, the dude's voice alone is grating enough. Like, it's just some nerd that has no business being there. That's We've just, all met a Howie Roseman. We've yeah. all met one. And, and, and if we're really, like, honest about it, like – the guy just comes off as this like smug jerk that's just like, hey, I'm not a football guy, but I know this better than you. And I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't even belong here. Like, you're just some accounting nerd. And you're not even good at the accounting piece. Look at what you did to the cat. Like, there's, and the fact that people were just ramming it down, oh, it's Howie season, it's Howie season. I'm like, shut up. This guy can't draft. You're all morons. You're just buying, like, drinking the Kool Aid. Like, I, it was my personal vendetta for the last four years for people to see how bad this guy is as a fraud. So, you know, they tell you to not meet your heroes. And now that I'm seeing you face to face and talking to you, you sound a lot more rationale on here than you do on Twitter and on, on, on the phones. And I, I kind of don't like it. And I feel like I'm meeting one of my heroes and he's actually a dickhead, but you like, well, are the opposite. Well, I'm sorry to do that to you, but like, let's, let's be honest. Like when, when I call in, I have two minutes, right? Like two minutes, maybe to make a point and get like really kind of shake things up. So I have to come off like ultra intense, right? Do you feel like it's a duty for you to shake things up and and get the, the Shirley's and the, and the other people and the Manny and the Bush from Manny Youngs to get going? Oh, well, yeah, because, and it's fun. Like, if if I'm going to be honest, like, the the real thing, it's fun, like, to see how much you can shake these people, like, to the core. And, like, if two minutes of me saying something just ruins someone's day, I'm all for it. So, like, like, I mean... My mic from KOP doesn't have a beautiful china closet sitting behind him with a nice poinsettia on the top. My mic from KOP is sitting in a shanty. (laughs) Drinking Yingling. I'm sorry. And just I'm, throwing bottles at the TV as Howie Rosen makes another bad decision. And now you're just you're just bringing you're you're bringing down the whole mold. Am I, uh, well, like, was this like uh, you know Alice through the Looking Glass? So, like, I'm <laughs> I'm like taking the curtain back, and, and here's the you wizard. are well, you're the Wizard of Oz. You're the wizard, and I pulled the curtain back, and now you're just like a normal human being. And I feel like you know what? I might ruin you. I might ruin you well, from 97.5 now. Well, I think I, I'm already ruined from 97.5. Half of those guys hate me anyway. But so, um, but for me, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a project manager. I'm like, I actually do stuff. Like, You're a real human being. I am a real human being. I have two kids. You know, I have a wife. She, she sometimes really hates when I call in. Gets real annoyed. <laughs> Listen, honey, that's the life of a, of a of a sports radio call, all right? She gets, gotta... she gets real annoyed, let me tell you. <laughs> so wait, so I saw today, there was a guy who had a plate on himself and uh, when the Jets selected Jet- Zach Wilson mm-hmm. and it said Jetman. And I was like, that guy definitely introduces himself at parties as Jetman. Do you ever say like, hey, no, listen, like, I'm actually, like, I, it's all anonymity. Like, I don't like people, <laughs> I don't want people to know who I am. Like, that's the thing. Like, it, like, and just kind of to what you said, like, it's like, who is this guy? Like, I feel yeah. like right now I'm exposing myself and people are going to be like, oh, this is this. Like, I have a few people from my high school have like reached out and figured out who I am. And they're like, are you Mike KOP? And I'm like, yeah, but don't <laughs> tell anybody. 
Wait, if I if I guess your high school, can you tell me what what it was? Yeah, sure. Uh, Northeast or Delco? Uh, well, if I'm like from KOP, like it's definitely not Delco. I guess you're right. Fuck. Are you a Harrington guy? Or are you a? Mm-hmm. Um, what's the uh, what's the private uppity school? Have a friend. I didn't, have a friend I, I, I didn't go to an uppity private school. I went to a regular public school. I don't know. All right, where are you from? Where'd you go? Yeah, I'm from King of, from King of Prussia. I don't know King of Prussia. I'm from uh, Lansdale. I thought you I thought you were from King of Prussia. No, I'm from Lansdale. You... I'm down the street. Oh well, I'm a Topper Marion. Uh, public school uppity. Well, well, I mean, uppity is as a public school can be. <laughs> what, we was, did have, what was what was Mike from KOP? What 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 floor was Mike from KOP's favorite floor in the King of Prussia Mall? Uh, you know what? I've never really liked the King of Prussia Mall. I'm like, it doesn't King, shock me at all. Actually. Most, I don't even most, ask the question. Of, most people from King of Prussia don't like the King of Prussia Mall. So that's like our own mm. secret. So it's like the Pats and Genos of like South Philly. Not many people yeah. like Pats and Genos. I mean, it's, it's all the outsiders like it and they come in and, and ruin the town, especially around Christmas. But yeah. Is there anything you want to say nice to Howie Roseman? Say something nice to Howie. Uh, I'm glad you didn't draft that bum Kyle, uh, that bum Brandon Graham clone, Kyle, uh, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, Quiddy Pay. Quiddy Pay. Yeah, okay, that's that's something nice. That is. And and here's 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 my Go final ahead. thought. I I'll just give you this. The as much as I hate Howie Roseman, I get so tired of the Brandon Graham being put on a pedestal in this town. He is Excuse a. Me. He's a mediocre at best defensive end that had one big play in the Super Bowl. And you're not going to tell me 59 sacks over 11 years makes you some superstar. I, I don't disagree with you, but he also had the most important play of the whole Super Bowl. Understood. I get that. I and we don't have a that. Super Bowl without him? Yeah, I get it. But at the same time, like sometimes we overvalue people. Like he smiles a lot, and people some and he's affable, and people love that. But like, I if like you this. really, if you really look at his production, he's just a mediocre player. That we're such stupid fans. They're like, oh, he's a hard worker, and he's real. He's real people person. Like I don't care. What's your production? Dude's never had ten sacks, and he's just like we we make him out to be some superhero on the field. I hate it. I hate like I hate our fan base. There's some of the dumbest people I've ever I've ever hear on the phones. Okay, that's an oxymoron because some would say that about you, but I understand where you're coming and from. And that's fine. Like, yeah, it's fine. But like, honestly, my whole point is to try to be as honest as I basically can. And I feel a lot of our fan base just lies to itself all the time. I don't think your Brandon Graham thought is as bad as many people do. I would like my first round pick to have at least 10 sacks one of the seasons, but I'll give you this. I'll say this. Trent Cole was a fifth round pick out of Cincinnati. Trent Cole's career is light years better. 96 career sacks. Yeah. And Brandon Graham only has 59. And like, that's the thing. Like, and then people are like, well, he plays the run well. Well, guess what? This is a passing league, morons. Like, you need to get sacks. Getting sacks is the name of the game. Like, so many people just want to defend this guy. And like, if if he was a fourth round pick and this was his career, I'd be totally good with it. But like, you were, and this is why, and this is another like, you know, busted pick that we could have had jpp who's still in the league and still had a much more productive career we could have had the safety don't say earl thomas because no because it's kind of come back to 
them kind of being kind of equal in the last couple of years. Yeah, but Earl Thomas is a Hatton Hall of Fame career, right? Brandon Graham has not had a Hall of Fame career. An Eagles Hall of Fame career. It doesn't – well, I, the real Ring Hall of, of Honor. Fame, what's that? Do you have a Ring of Honor? Yeah, and Brandon Graham wouldn't be in it. Eh, he, might, he probably will be. No, not mine. Hey, who – remember, who gave you more than two minutes? Kyle, you did. Kyle Payton. Yeah, I'll, remember I'll that. say that. Kyle right. fine. Remember that. Well, I appreciate it. Hey, thank you for coming on. I'm sorry if I ruined your image of me, by the way. I apologize. You did. You, 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 you're just a normal human being that I don't I, – I, I'm not happy that I've, I've ever met you now. I wish I never asked you to come on. Folks, you know who can't wait to get the 3D PT because the taxes are better in Morristown and that's where all the Eagles live? Devontae Smith. Why is that? Because Devontae Smith knows greatness when he sees it. Why else would he have picked Alabama? Out of Louisiana, LSU country. So you tired of pretending – that nagging pain in your back, shoulder, or knee isn't really bothering you? You don't need to wait for a doctor's appointment, x-rays, pain pills. You can see a physical therapist like the pros, Devontae Smith, do to help you get better, faster, and stronger than you ever imagined possible. Three-dimensional physical therapy are the specialists in sports and orthopedic PT and can get you moving again pain-free. 3D PT is owned by physical therapists, not a hospital or physician or group. That's important. Their only focus is getting you back to your best health possible golf season, baby. It was 80 degrees today. I hope, I hope you, you did 18 yesterday before the rain. So whether it's getting back to the gym or golfing without pain, you get one-on-one time with a physical therapist and personalized care. And you know why Devontae Smith wants to go to 3DPT? They have five locations in South Jersey and were voted best of South Jersey. And as I've said on this podcast before, They would have been voted best in North Jersey. They would have been voted best in Central Jersey. They would have been voted best if there's a West or an East Jersey. So go to 3dpt.com and make an appointment now. Barsky Diamonds, with all that money, Devontae Smith, if you're listening to this, I've got a place for you on Jewelers Row, 724 Sampson Street, for a nice chain. You don't seem like the kind of guy that would have a chain, but splurge a little bit. Did you see Patrick Sertan's chain? It was a PS2 controller. It was like a 30-carat diamond PS2 controller. If Barsky Diamonds had to make that, if he, they were asked, they could because I've met the engineer. She makes a lot of custom pieces. For over a century, they have been a Philadelphia tradition offering the best in value, quality, and customer service. None of their sales associates work on commission, making their shop a no-pressure environment. And they also create custom pieces, like I said, like I just said. So Mother's Day. Two weeks, like Joe Dirt said, do you want to be there when Jesus comes back, when you don't get your mother a gift? Or you, you get your mother a gift? If, listen, if you're 25 and older, popsicle stick picture frames aren't going to cut it anymore, okay? So get your mother a nice gift, maybe up that percentage in the will. Think about that. It's a long-term play. There's also summer engagement season. There's weddings coming up. There's just because that always that that season is always in barskydiamonds.com. I haven't given you the promo code yet. P H I N E. That spells fine. Barskydiamonds.com. Get anything 10% off $3,000 or less. All right. We are joined by a legend, a Hall of Famer. Dick Girardi covered college hoops, covered horse racing for 30 years. Did it get into the 40 year? Mark at one point. 
33, uh, <laughs> Kyle. Yeah, I'm 33, 7,000 stories for the, for my, uh, lovely daily news. It was just a great place to work for all those years. And, uh, yeah, from 1985, February of 85 until, uh, December of 2017. Yeah. And you grew up in Baltimore, so not too far away from the Preakness and whatnot. So you were, you were born into horse racing. Yeah, it's interesting. I, 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 I had some people around me. I like, I had an uncle that was a horse trainer, but I didn't really get into it till I was in college. I had these friends of mine that played poker. They said, man, poker is fun, but you got to go to the track. Yeah. And then when I went to the track, I said, what is this? And, and I kind of was self-taught. Uh, and I actually had never, and I grew up, I don't know, 10 minutes from Pimlico. And I'd been there like once until the 73 Preakness. I happened to walk into your secretariat was winning the Preakness and I was in the infield. And I to say I didn't know what I was doing would be an understatement. But yeah, that was my first real Preakness. So yeah, and uh, ever since then, I've just, it's, it, people always said to me, if you had a choice between college basketball and horse racing, which fortunately for me, I didn't have, I could do both of them. The seasons were just perfect. It would have been horse racing just because of the gambling aspect of it and just because those stories are just endless. I had an uncle who owned a couple horses, never had any success with them, but he always, he, he liked to, you know, he's one of those guys, you know, getting the horses, buy a Porsche when you get a midlife crisis and whatnot, you yep. know, have a, enjoy a good time. Um, it, it's, it's hard to explain to people how awesome horse racing is live, just the sound of it. And then you go and you, and you, and you see these horses up close and they're, they're beasts. Is that kind of how you fell in love with it? You know, I, I actually, I'll be honest with you, I fell in love because of the gambling aspect of it, because that. that's what I liked the most. Uh, and it was such a challenge to get an understanding of it. And then over time, I, I was a journalism major at the University of Maryland. And at some point I knew I was going to be in, in newspapers. So I, I, I had to learn a lot more about the game than just the gambling aspect of it. But you really don't understand it unless you understand the gambling part of it, because there is no sport without gambling. Look, the NFL could survive without gambling, but it wouldn't be nearly what it is without gambling, right? But horse racing could not survive because all the money is produced through pe uh, people's bets. But yes, when I take people to the track for the first time, I want to go right up to the rail. So as you were describing, I want them to hear those sounds, hear the jockeys yelling at the horses, the sound of a thousand pound animal running through the stretch at 35 miles an hour. It's intoxicating. There's no question. And if you own a horse and it can be incredibly frustrating yeah. because they often, they, it's just some of them just don't win like anything else. Some of them are, some of them are the team that finished last. That's just who they are. But yeah, if you, and if you get a good one by some chance, it's like you're playing. It's, this is, this is your game, right? It's like, you're the, you're the guy making the big shot at the end. If you own a racehorse, who's running in one of these big races. It's gotta be almost like euphoric being like one of the 10% of people that actually I might get my return on investment on this horse. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly the right number. Most people think of this wrongly as some sport for like these super rich, almost everybody in the game loses money. Now, are there some rich people that can afford to lose money? Yeah. And they play, but there's some regular people that just like it and they generally lose money. But yeah, on the off chance that you hit, if you're these guys, these crazy guys from California that hit with California Crow, put up next to nothing and end up with a superstar. Yeah, there's nothing like it because in some cases, some of these people actually think they're smart and they're actually just very lucky. I always call it a thousand pound lottery ticket. That's basically what you're buying. And you just hope it's your number coming up. So it was 2004 when St. Joe's and Smarty Jones went on that run. Was that like your, your Super Bowl? 
of covering? No question. Yeah, it was, I probably should have quit uh, as Smarty Jones is four legs ahead in a stretch of the Belmont. But yeah, that was certainly the best year I had covering sports at the paper. I mean, it was from November, and I don't remember the date, a Friday night, November, uh, St. Joe's played Gonzaga at Madison Square Garden, won the game. And I'll never forget this. I called Phil Martelli the next day and I said, Phil, I said, I looked at your schedule. I said, I don't think you're going to lose. I mean, I, that was how impressive they were. And obviously, they'd had a terrific team the year before. Nelson almost went to the NBA, came back at the last minute. And I said, man, because Gonzaga was really good. And, and, I, and I looked at it and I said, of course, they go 27-0. and 0, Then they get within, what, they were up with less than 10 seconds to go in the Elite Eight game. And John Lucas's son makes the shot, and Oklahoma State beats him. I was just watching that right before we came on because I knew you covered it. Nobody scored from three minutes until like 30 seconds left when John Lucas right. hit that shot. And I think, was it, was it Pat Carroll who dove for the ball? And it was the right play at the time because the, the big Yeah. So, so yeah, it, 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 you're, you're right. Your memory is good. What had happened, St. Joe's was down by two, had the ball, and Pat Carroll hit a three. They went to double Nelson. He threw it to the top of the key. Carroll hit a three. I want to say 30 seconds left, give or take. And then St. Joe's, Oklahoma State had no timeouts. They'd already used them all. They came down and they didn't look like they had any idea what they were doing. And you're 100% right. Uh, the ball got loose on the floor and Carroll went and dove for it. And if he had gotten it, the game was going to be over because he was just going to shove it down to the other end of the court. Uh, but he just missed it. Uh, and then Tyrone Barley, who was guarding John Lucas, he also came off to try to get that ball. One of the Graham brothers, I believe, picked it up, threw it over to Lucas. He hits the three with what's a little over about seven seconds left in the game. Then Nelson came down and missed about a 17-foot shot at the buzzer, which would have tied the game. A lot of people think that this day his shot would have won the game. It would have actually only tied mm-hmm. the game because they were down by two. Final score, 64-62. Yeah, no, he, he, I think if he had it to do over again, he told me a great story. Martelli did not call a timeout, and he had timeouts to call if he wanted. He just said, go do it, figure it out. And he came down to court and he said he looked at all of his teammates to see if anybody was open and everybody like had their arms at their side, like you shoot this. And, and if I I think if he had one thing to do over, he probably would have pulled up from three win or lose. uh, Because otherwise, even if he makes it, it's going overtime. But what he was trying to do was the smart play. He was trying to get to the rim. He only needed two to tie, but then he looked up and there were these like six, nine guys at the rim. He realized he wasn't going to get there. So he had to pull up at the free throw line. Listen, if, if you didn't cover American Pharaoh and you didn't cover Chris Jenkins' last shot, I would kind of wonder if we were, we were dealing with a little bit of a change. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's right. It was That was the bizarre year where I thought I came that close to having a potential national champion. And I think St. Joe's was good enough to have won it. Uh, I know Jim Calhoun's UConn team won that year. He said the one team he did not want to play was St. Joe's because they had all these little guys versus his big guys. Some of his big guys were going to have to try to guard like Delonte West, and it wasn't going to happen. Uh, but that's one of those what ifs. And then, yeah, Smarty Jones and me wins the Derby, wins the Preakness by the biggest margin in history. And then, as the Belmont looks like he's got it won, but a couple of horses ran at him early in the race, and he hit the wall last couple hundred yards. But yeah, I just start thinking it was me. Uh, but yeah, as you said, then uh, a decade later, I got in succession. I got American Pharaoh winning the Triple Crown, and, that, and I was, I don't know, 20 feet from Chris Jenkins when he launched the three in Houston. Uh, going back to the, the Smarty Jones and, yeah. and Birdstone, I've never hated an animal more in my life than I hated Birdstone. <laughs> I, that, that horse not only captivated Smarty Jones, captivated Philadelphia, it captivated the entire 
country and some of the world and whatnot. And I remember Birdstone, he didn't run in the Preakness, if I'm right? Did not. Ran in the Derby, skipped the Preakness. Yep. So right there, I think there's an asterisk on the, on the, on the Belmont win. Secondly, Birdstone's trainers and, or owners came out and apologized Correctly for, for winning the That's Belmont right. because yeah. everyone was just pissed at Birdstone and, and, and them for winning. Right. And what actually, it's interesting. What happened is a lot of times horse racers are decided by what happens during the race. Not necessarily. It's very unlike a regular sports event. First of all, it's quick. It's over in a couple of minutes. Something that happens at the beginning can affect the result dramatically. In a basketball game, if it goes bad the first five minutes, you got a whole bunch of time to catch up. Horse racing just doesn't work that way. What happened in the race was there were two other horses in the race, Eddington and Rockhart 10, whose jockeys were more intent on getting Smarty Jones beaten than they were in actually winning the race they pushed the pace they basically eliminated whatever chance their horse had There's of winning collusion yeah very much so but set it up not for themselves but for birdstuff who was really a beneficiary of what had happened early in the race and a similar thing interestingly happened to american pharaoh in the travers uh that after he won the triple crown and then he came back to win the breeders cup but yeah if if they had left smarty jones alone like they did american pharaoh in the belmont no question in my mind, he wins the race in the triple crown. So was there some animosity in the jockey in the jockey room? Is that why they didn't want, why did they not want sporting? It's, it's a great question because the jockeys were, Jerry Bailey was on Eddington. And I know Jerry well, he's a friend. Uh, and, and, and another jockey, Alex Solis, really well-known guys. I, I think that was the fact that it was a Philadelphia horse, was kind of an unknown jockey, Stuart Elliott. They're going, you know, why isn't this me? I'm supposed <laughs> to be the one winning the triple crown. I, I, and I know the trainer of Eddington, it was a really sharp guy, never rode Jerry Bailey again. He was so upset with what he did in the race. And you don't not ride Jerry Bailey. It's like, I'm not going to play LeBron James. Wow. It's how upset he was with him. But yeah, so there was, it was just weird goings on. I tried to, Jerry's never really wanted to talk about it. So I kind of let him alone, but I know John service, the trainer, Smarty Jones was very, very unhappy, uh, but it didn't happen that way. In the recent triple crowns, justifying American Pharaoh, all the jockeys sort of, once that horse got to the front, they said, well, if we're going to catch him, we'll try to catch him later in the race, but not push him early. And both of them went. Well, let's get into the Derby this weekend. I mean, sure. is there any triple crown favorites? We have uh, 68, mostly sunny, should be a dry and fast track. Essential quality is the favorite at five to two. The gates did just come out. He pulled the 14. Obviously, these are subject to change as horses get scratched and, and, and whatnot. Do you see anybody right off the bat, essential quality, maybe Hot Rod or, uh, or Medina Spirit, who I just have written down as Baffert horse. Yeah, well, no, that's, that's a good that's all you need. That's all yeah, you need. No, that's right. right. Yeah, well, the, the best Baffert horse uh, was a horse called Life is Good. Uh, if you said to me back in February, who's going to win the Derby? I'd have said he's a cinch. He was that good. He was like justify American feral like. Uh, but he got hurt. He's got an operation. He'll be back in training. He'll be back later this year, but he's not going to run in the Derby. And I thought he had a chance at the Triple Crown. I'd be surprised if any of these horses do, because normally they've identified themselves by now as like, you know, winning by big margins, running really fast. We just haven't seen that yet. But look, we hadn't really seen that with Barbaro in 2006 until the Derby. That was his breakthrough. And I'm fairly well convinced, obviously, if he hadn't been injured in the Preakness, there was no telling how good he was going to be. So sometimes it just takes a while for these horses to get to their best. So, yeah, if some horse wins by five or six lengths and runs really fast, yeah, then maybe. But, yeah, today, I, I, I don't see it today. Yeah. Going back to um, essential quality. So he's, obviously, like I said, the favorite of five to yep. two. He won the juvenile, the Breeders' Cup mm -hmm. over Hot Rod. 
um, after he was eighth at the half mile track. Now, gray horses don't have the best history of the dirty derby. <laughs> Does he change that this year? Yeah, and look, I think he's legitimate. I, I can't find any fault with him. In fact, if you said, who does he remind me of in recent years, it would be Nyquist, who won the Derby in 2016, was undefeated, two-year-old champion, not dazzling, doesn't run particularly fast, doesn't win by wide margin, just wins every race, as this horse does. Brad Cox was the Eclipse Award winner as the top trainer in the country. Well, he was kind of an unknown five years ago, and now he's just like winning just about everything. This is his first derby. He's got another horse in the race in addition to a central quality named Mandaloon. So, yeah, I think the horse is fine, and I think he's one of the few what I would call two-way horses in the race, meaning he could win a variety of ways. If he's up near the front, that would be fine. But as you said, if he's in mid-pack like he was in the Breeders' Cup, he's still got enough that he that he can run. The biggest question I have with him when I watch him, Kyle, is, is it, has he gotten any better from two to three? He isn't running any faster. And a lot of times these horses, they they peak. They just get their, they're like the They're like the freshman basketball player that never gets any better. Horses are very much like that. So has he reached his peak or is there something more? It's interesting. He reminds me, as I said, very much of Nyquist. I ended up picking Nyquist the year he won it, not because I loved him. There just wasn't anybody else to like that much. And this derby is somewhat similar in that there's just no other horses that say, oh, man, you know, that horse is going to run a big one. So, no, I think he's absolutely legitimate. He should be favored, and I'm sure he will be. So my favorite, as I was doing this research, Hot Rod, Hot Rod Chuck, yeah. Hot Rod yeah. Charlie. He's going off at six to one. He's gate number nine, which isn't good because no one's won in gate number nine since Reaver Ridge in 72. <laughs> but I love him because I just get in the storyline. I'm not a handicapper like sure. you are. I'm not a guy yeah. you know, yep. who, who knows what he's talking about. But these these frat bros from Brown just yes. decided to to buy a horse. Yep. And they and they had their first horse, didn't run well, just didn't like to run, which is hilarious to think. It's kind of like having to happen, yeah. Yeah, like a Lamborghini without a motor. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) And their second one had no had no uh, success, but this one, it's just fun because it's just like, I'm 28 years old. I've had buddies who are just like, hey, let's do this, or hey, let's do let's. But I'm like sure. guys that like, hey, let's go down to the a shore house for the week. Yep. Or something. Or let's go yeah. shore house for something. Yeah, I'm not yeah. a guy who's like, hey, let's buy this horse. <laughs> That's why I kind of like these guys. They're former Brown University frat brothers who are also football players, but they also have Doug O'Neill, who's a two-time Derby winner trainer. Yep. So it's like, uh-huh. I'm I'm fascinated by the story as well. If if I were in Kentucky this week, I mean that would obviously be a story I would like to pursue because why horse racing? Because it's not something you associate with younger people these days. Let's deal in reality. It's an older folks game. Uh, it, that's been the real problem with the sport. They haven't gotten a lot of the younger people into it, except these guys who are betting insane amounts of money that are parts of groups that are arbitraging and are like Wall Street guys, except they're betting into horse racing pools. That's another story. But yeah, I'm fascinated by these guys. And yeah, you're right. It's not like they have some long shot that has no chance. Uh, and, I, and if you said to me today, who do you think has the best chance of winning at the right price? It's not Rod Charlie. I think he's got the right style. I think he's either going to be in front or close to it. And if you watch recent derbies, these 20 horse fields, the key to the whole race is in the first 300 yards. Get good position. Don't be in a 20-horse race. Be in a four-horse race. Get your horse up in the top three or four. Then you can't have any traffic problems. I always say, here's the analogy I get people in horse racing. All right, where would you rather drive? Uh, up on a River Road near where I live in Bucks County on the Delaware River on the Schuylkill. 
you'd rather be on river road, right? Just when you're, you're calm. Horses are just like that. They would rather not run in a pack, rather not be chaotic. So if you can get away from the crowd, in this case, the other 19 horses, that's a good thing. And I think Hot Rod Charlie has a chance to do that. Doug, as you said, has won it twice. Uh, Nyquist, I'll have another. And not long time ago. This is within the last decade that he's won it. And he's got Flavian Pratt, who is my favorite jockey on the West Coast. And unlike, say, the Ortiz brothers, who always get bet like they can't lose, and they're really good, Pratt still gets a little overlooked because he's not New York, but he is a sensational jockey. Now, he won the Derby two years ago on DQ with Country House. I don't really count that as a win. That was more like you got put up the win, but it was interesting. Joe Rosario had the choice to ride this horse and ended up choosing one of the Baffert horses who didn't make it, uh, the concert tour. And so, O'Neill had to make a choice, and he chose Pratt. I think he chose wisely. I'm a big fan. Did you have maximum security? I picked him in the paper. Uh, I did. I had one bet in a race. I had a cold $200 exacta with a horse who got absolutely slaughtered out of the starting gate. I don't remember where he ran. Turned out to be a really, really good horse. I think there's a chance he would have run second. So I'm very unhappy. Happy he didn't because if I'd have gotten DQ'd, it would have been, I think it would have been good for about 40 or 50 grand. I would not have been happy. So, well, yes. <laughs> mine was a little less than that, but I had a nice little 100 bet on maximum security Ugh. to win. Ugh. I went and I saw he won, went right into a show. Sure. Like, no, oh, you had no nothing. idea. I came oh, back man. out. My buddy was like, he, he. I was betting through my buddy at the time. He oh, Venmoed me like, I was like, what are you doing? He goes, did you not see the, the headlines? <laughs> oh, no. I'm like. Yeah, that was brutal. I had a buddy of mine who was down at the track and he, he bet a lot of money. And he, he said, what do you think? I said, well, they don't DQ horses in the derby. It's just not going to happen. And then, of course, the horse got DQ'd. Uh, I had a friend of mine who got disqualified into 50,000. Hit the superfecta twice. And, and he was totally wrong. He hated maximum security, threw him off the ticket. And of course he ended up, they put him 17th when it was all over. And you know, sometimes it's just better to be lucky because he was really lucky. He, he got the entire race wrong and ended up winning 50,000. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. hey, listen, and I'm yeah. sure there's a lifelong 50,000 yeah. that he's dipped into uh, other No things. question. No, no, hey, look, I've, I've had some really big bets that I've won by inches. I've had others I've lost by inches. It's just, it's the nature of the sport. It's just not like anything else. So many of the results are decided by such a short, small margin. It's, it's not for the faint of heart. It's why we keep coming back, I think. Absolutely. No question about it. Medina Spirit going off at eight to one. Is that line inflated because of Baffert? Probably is. Yeah, I think on paper, he's more like 15-ish. But yeah, it's it's Baffert. I mean, the guy's won it six times. Uh, you know, he's tied with Ben Jones for most ever. He's going to win seven. It's just a question of one when I thought it would have been this year. I'm not a particularly big Medina Spirit fan. Uh, I'm not sure Baffert is either. I think it's like his third or fourth string, and he likes to bring the first string. Uh, it was interesting. Last year, he won it with a third string, authentic. He was like the third best horse in a barn, uh, but he had so many good horses, it didn't matter. Yeah, I'd be I'd be really surprised if Medina Spirit wins, but I shouldn't be because it's it's the man. He's he's figured he's actually solved the unsolvable riddle, which is the Kentucky Derby. He's figured out how to do it. He's like the John Calipari of recruiters, right? He gets the best horses. And then he, unlike a lot of his brethren, he trains his horses hard. 
And when they get to Kentucky, they are ready. I mean, he's got one goal in mind. And look, he's, he's, there's ne- never been anybody better in the history of the sport. What are we up to 147? Yeah. Kentucky Derby's, nope, nobody's done it better. And he's done it in two distinct eras. People forget he won in 97, 98, and, uh, and 02. They didn't win again until American Pharaoh. And now he's won in 15, 18, and 20. Yeah. And, of course, in the middle of that, he won two triple crowns. And he wasn't far from winning four more triple crowns. So he had two uh, horses, won two other legs of the triple crown. The guy's amazing. It, it really is. And he actually had a really cool quote about Medina where it was like, you know, California horses, we run in, you know, tough dirt and whatnot. And it was like they were taking off their hiking boots to come – you know, run a Churchill. So I think, yeah, that's I, I think there's, there's something to be said for that. I, I do look, I, I, t- and Hot Rod Charlie's a California horse. I typically like, if it's close, I like the California horses because you know, they've been able to train all year round. They don't have a weather problem and coming from that track to Churchill. Yeah. There's just something these horses come to Kentucky and they just love it. Known agenda 12 to one. He got the number one gate. Obviously, no one's won there since Ferdinand in 86. Right. And poor Todd Pletcher, man. He's had 50 <laughs> horses in the Derby. Yeah. only won twice. He's got yep. four in this yep. Derby. Yeah. But it's an offspring of Curlin, who I loved Curlin back in the day. Sure. He won the Florida Derby, which has seven winners with the Kentucky Derby crown. Where are we looking at for known agenda at 12 to 1 in the number one gate? Yeah, it's interesting. I was watching the post draw, and Todd said afterwards if he had a choice, he would have switched his Wood Memorial winner and Florida Derby winner, had known agenda in 20 and Bourbonic, who's a stone closer in one, which would have made more sense. So it isn't a great post. Here's, here's what we know, like you said in recent years, the one hasn't won, and it's a distinct disadvantage because of that two starting gate that they have at Churchill. And I've been down there, I mean, I've been there 33 times, but when you, when you look at it, it's almost like they're, they're, they have to make a right turn just to get onto the course from the one. Well, starting last year, they now have a 20-horse starting gate. Remember before, they had one with 14, one with six. We think that it's going to be less of a disadvantage with this new gate uh, just because of the way it's positioned. Uh, but we're not going to know yet. We've only had, it's only been a, we had one year. Uh, but yeah, you're right about Todd. 50 starters, two wins. Having said that, he hasn't had a lot of favorites. Uh, he's had a lot of like kind of long shots. Always dreaming was a favorite and won. It's not like he's brought a lot of six to five shots to the Derby and gotten beat, but Todd has more horses than anybody. He's got more owners, so they want to be in the Derby. Some of them had no business being in the Derby, and he would tell you that. Uh, so, yeah, it, I, I think his theory is more like, I'm two for 20 because in a lot of these races, he had three or four horses, right? You can't win it twice. So, uh, and this year, as you said, he's got four, but yeah, he's, and I, I, I've known Todd forever. He's one of the good guys at the sport, but yeah, he, he's had some years where he's had four and they've run like 13th, 15th, 18th and 20th. It's very, but that can, the Derby is a very humbling race because you only get that one shot at it. And if your horse doesn't hit every mark, Coming up to it, the horse just isn't going to win. Speaking of Todd, uh, dynamic one going at thirty to one. He's an eleven. He's talked nothing but good things about this. Yes. He said it's it's trained the best out of all four in the Derby right now. Is that someone you're kind of looking at? Obviously, uh, at the Gulfstream, uh, he was caught by Greatest Honor, who was Greatest Honor scratched, and he was going to be actually at the top. I think. Right. Greatest honor would have been one of the players. He, he they, about a month ago, he had some kind of an issue and Shug McGay he said he's out of there. So yeah, no, look, I think he's, I think he's legit. And, and one of the things you got to, and I've learned this over the years, some trainers you really listen to intently because they actually tell you the truth. Many of them do not. Todd is actually a truth teller. Uh, and I tell you in 2019, 
somebody asked him two day, a couple days before the Breeders' Cup, which of all your Breeders' Cup horses do you like the most? He said, Vino Rosso. Vino Rosso won the Breeders' Cup Classic. So I, I listen to Todd. When he says that about that okay. particular horse, it's worth paying attention to. And, yeah, I, I thought he ran great in his last race. Uh, just you know, he ends up getting beat by Todd. You know, Todd runs 1-2 in the race. Uh, so that, that has been known to happen also. So, yeah, he's got obviously got one of the Ortiz brothers, which is always a good thing. In fact, he has both the Ortiz brothers. He's got one on the Florida Derby winner and one on Dynamic One. So Dynamic One, 30-1, something to look at. I think so. I, I think so. The Wood Memorial has been a bad prep in recent years. I mean, it just you go back for years, and it was particularly slow this year. Um, I look. I'm I'm very interested in Bourbonic because of his rider, uh, Kendrick Carmouche. who's a guy who was a five time riding champion at Parks, uh, won four in a row, and is my, probably my favorite single personality in the sport. Just a great guy, and from Louisiana. His dad was a rider. His brother's a rider. And it's his first derby, and he's, he's like about 36 now, but it's just now hitting his peak. And jockeys, you know, as you know, they can ride well into their 40s, and sometimes like Mike Smith is in his mid-50s still riding. Some long shots. Um, St. Hood, 50-1. to 1, That's He's at gate number five, the highest win percentage of all time. But the last winner was 2017 and always dreaming. And then Midnight Bourbon, 15-1, to 1, is running at the gate uh, number 10. And that has 30% of the horses that finish in the money from that position. Any long shots you're kind of looking at to finish in the money? Or if you, if you want to give a pick out, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, and no, I think Midnight Bourbon is a good horse to, to talk about. Uh, he, he's trained by Steve Asmussen, who later this year is going to set the record for most wins in horse racing history for a trainer. Uh, he's only got one guy in front of him. He's going to probably end a year closing on 10,000. And eventually he's going to set the mark so high that no one will ever catch him because he wins four or 500 races a year. And he's not that old. Well, Steve has won every big race in the sport. And I do mean everyone, the Preakness, the Belmont, Breeders' Cup Classic. He's had horses of the year, Rachel Alexander, Curlin. I mean, he's, he's had them all. Uh, the only, only race he hasn't won, the only race everybody wants to win. Hasn't won the Derby. And this might be, this horse is legit. He's got another one, uh, the, the Arkansas Derby winner, whose name is escaping me at the moment because there's too many soups, uh, super stock, uh, okay. the, the 18. So, yeah, I think it, that absolutely midnight bourbon. I don't know if you saw, he, he went berserk the other day after <laughs> it, running around. They, he got loose. He's running through the, the, uh, the, the hay and the straw. That was, has to be terrifying. Totally. If you're, if you're a horse trainer, more so if you're the groom who's holding on uh, and, and the horse gets away from you because they're going to blame you. Uh, and so, yes, it is terrifying. Fortunately, he didn't get very far. It didn't look like he hurt himself. But that was a scary 20 seconds for sure. Uh, exactly. If you, had a, if you had a trifecta pick, who would you be looking at right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking definitely Hot Rod Charlie. I'm thinking Dynamic One. And... It, it, just because it's my man Kendrick, um, I'm hoping for I'm hoping for Bourbonic. Uh, do I think he can get there? No, but he's going to be sixty to one. So yeah, who wouldn't like a a, a nine at eight to one, an eleven at twenty, and a twenty at thirty to one, or something like that? It, there's no telling what the prices will be. That'd be a fantastic uh, payout. Yeah, I think I could. I think I might have that a few times. Okay, fantastic. Just, no, fantastic. Do <laughs> so you think this is? Do you think essential quality being the favorite, like it is very possible he does not, he's not in the winner's circle at the end? Yeah, I, I, I think he's more a bet against than a bet on. It's not that he can't win. Mm -hmm. I just think the price versus the, the possibilities of him winning 
are not great. Uh, again, it, it's not because he's a bad horse. Obviously, he's undefeated. He's a two-year-old champ. Uh, he's got a terrific trainer, a really good rider. There's nothing to knock about him. And it'd be, it'd be a great story because Louis Saez is his rider. He's the guy who was on on the winner for 20 minutes two years ago and got DQ'd. So it'd be nice to see him get back in the winner's circle. But, yeah, I just think the, the dynamics of the race are such. And it's you got to beat 19 horses more likely to get beat than win. Uh, so, yeah, I'm probably going to try to beat him. And if you could somehow get him off the ticket, get him out of the superfecta, get him out of the trifecta, then there's real money to be made. I've had years where I knew the favorite wasn't going to be in there, and that's when I st- really fire. I don't have that feeling. It's not like I'm saying essential quality is a bum and he's going to run 15th. I'm not saying that. But I am saying there's a realistic chance he's not the top four. What were one of the years where you knew the, the leader wasn't going to – yeah, my, this is my all-time betting uh, sob story. 2005, uh, Bellamy Road was a gigantic favorite for Nick Zito, who'd won the Derby a couple of times, strike, your, strike the gold, go for gin, he's headed to the Hall of Fame. The horse had run these incredible races. I mean, just some of the most incredible prep races in history. But I knew his previous trainer, and I knew the horse had some issues. And I knew that the, sim- the situation that he had in those races – it was going to be very different in the Derby. Like he was going to have to run. It was like he had that easy race we were talking about. Like he's on the he's on uh, River Road. Well, now he was going to be on a Schuylkill. It was just going to be a harder way to go. And I love the Fleet Alex in the race. That was the local horse in 2005. Uh, the Alex's Lemonade st- Stand story and just all local guys. And I thought the horse's previous race, the Arkansas Derby, was tremendous. So. I bet a fleet Alex and all week long, I was, I was going to throw Bellamy road off the ticket completely. I was looking for a long shot to run second, third or fourth in the superfecta. So what I did, I made a gigantic bet. I won't go into all the math, but a fleet Alex had to win this horse. I picked second, third or fourth just needed to run second, third or fourth. And it didn't matter who else ran in. I was going to hit the superfecta and this horse was 50 to one. So, and a fleet Alex was like, I think the nine to two second choice, well, they're coming around the far turn. Both of them have green silks, a Fleet Alex and the 50-to-1 shot. And a Fleet Alex is heading for the lead. And at Bellamy Road is dropping out. I can see he's gone nowhere. And here's my 50-to-1 shot coming. And he's coming and he's coming. And the horse's name is Giacomo. The problem was he kept coming and he won the race. And a Fleet Alex finished third. If a Fleet Alex wins, the, the Superfective, by the way, came back 850000 for a dollar. Uh, if a fleet Alex wins and Giacomo second, third or fourth, there was like a 75 to one shot that ended up finishing second. My friends have estimated that would have been a cool half million for a dollar. Uh, my bet was about 7,000. Uh, I, I'm not remembering exactly the numbers, but that was the all-time what if. And then a fleet Alex and Giacomo ran against each other again in the Preakness and the Belmont. A fleet Alex slaughtered them. Both times. It was just the wrong time. <laughs> do you wonder sometimes why we do this? Yes. It was the right <laughs> idea. The great. It was the best bet I've ever made. It just happened to be the wrong moment. That's all. Do you ever wonder why you just couldn't get into sales and sell medical devices and whatnot? And, yes. And- yeah, there are times when you leave the racetrack. And that, that was one of them uh, where you think, am I ever going to come back again? Of course, I was back. <laughs> Two weeks for the pregnancy. <laughs> But man, when but, you hit a when you hit a ticket like that, though, like uh, the the euphoria you feel from like futures when you hit an NBA or a college sure. basketball or, yeah, yeah. or a certain yeah, it's, a, it's it's a life changer. And look, I had justified forty to one to win the Derby. There you go. We met him two days after his first race. 
because the, the people who were making the line didn't understand what they were dealing with. And they knew that no horse had won the Derby without racing it too since the 1860s. And they're going, well, there's no way this horse can win because he was just started in February. But it was Baffert and he was faster than anybody. And the whole sport has changed. It's not like it used to be. Horses can actually do that. It was just a question of which horse it was. So yeah, we ended up, Justify went off, I think at five to two in the race and we had him at 40 to one. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't happen very often, but that, that's the euphoric day. And we did not have $2 on him either. Well, that's why you're a sharp. Yeah, well, you know, we had one last year on a horse called Charlatan, who I'm convinced would have won the Derby if it had been in May. But then the Derby wasn't in May. No. And Charlatan got hurt. And by September, he was, he was out of there. But, and I had him at 22 to one. Before I let you go, I was, when I was researching you a little bit, I, I came across this story. You know, you grew up obviously in the in the golden age of sports reporting, where like no handlers question. weren't a big thing, agents, yep. security, like you didn't roll with ten dudes at a time. No question. You you meet Muhammad Ali, and it's a couple months before he faces George Foreman in the Rumble in the Jungle, and you go to a sparring session with him and whatnot, and it's just it's it's you and I think it's two two friends and it's Correct. Ali and his training guys, which That's is true. if you got around Floyd or if you got around. McGregor nowadays, they would have 20 dudes around them who you couldn't even touch. And you're watching the sparring session and the guy who Muhammad Ali is sparring with is just going after Ali's ribs. And then you watch the fight three months from later and you're realizing you just witnessed the <laughs> rope-a-dope. Yep. In sport. What, what was it like to just witness one of the greatest moments in the history of sports? Yeah, it's my favorite sports moment of all time. Look, Ali was my guy growing up. Uh, and this was way before I got into business. Uh, this was 1974. I wasn't a reporter. Uh, I went with a college roommate and a good friend from Baltimore. And we went up to Deer Lake. And as you said, a couple of months before the, the rumble in the jungle in Zaire, just to you know, see you could actually go there. And there was no money involved. You just went there and watched Ali train. And we got there real early in the morning. We were the first people there. And he comes out of his house. There's a little cabin there. And he goes, hey, what are you guys doing? And he starts talking to us. And like you're saying, today you couldn't get within. I mean, he's just the most famous, not athlete in the world, the most famous man in the world. Couldn't have got within a million miles of somebody like that today. He says, hey, why don't you come in and watch Watch some, uh, we're going to put on a tape, or I guess it would have been a film back then, of a uh, foreman fighting Ken Norton. And so we're, we're eating breakfast with Ali watching <laughs> watch this film. And then, as you said, we went to the sparring session in the afternoon and he just let guys hit him in the, in the midsection. And I'm going, what is he doing? And then we, I'm watching a, a fight at the Baltimore Civic Center on the closed circuit on the big screen. And a couple minutes into the fight, he just lets George pound away. And then at the end, if you ever people get a chance to watch the fight, at the end of every round, he would nail George for like the last 20 seconds. Just whack him. And then eventually George just got worn out. And after the first round, I said to my buddy, I said, this fight is over. I realized what he was doing. It was the rope dope I didn't know it until I actually saw it in, in reality. But yeah, that was the single greatest sporting event I've ever been to. And it wasn't live, but Ali was my guy. It was just, it was justice. He, they never should have taken the title from him. And he, he was the greatest, no question. Do you ever, do you ever, I, I kind of, you know, Marvin Hagler just died and Obviously, growing up, I'm 28 years old. It's UFC right now. It's sure. very rarely boxing. Yeah. 
but the stories that people tell of of Marvin Hagler and obviously Ali and 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 Tyson and whatnot, do you ever think boxing can get back to the level that it was? I think the heavyweight division is close. Dory's mm-hmm. great. Uh, Anthony Joshua was great, and I, the yep. other guy who Tyson just beat, I forget off the top of my head. Yeah, I can I can see. I, I hear you talking about the guy from Alabama. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll think of his name in a minute. But I mean, there's an Andy Ruiz fight this weekend, and I don't care about that. And 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 usually the May the the first weekend in May is is the big fight, and sometimes it's been the UFC in the last couple of of years. You know, do we ever get back to those days? Is there too much divisions? Is there too much belts? Is what's going on? Yeah, I, I think I think the sporting universe has gotten too crowded. Um, you know, if you think back to boxing in its heyday, I mean, it's hard to believe, but in the 50s and 60s, three biggest sports in the country were, uh, before the NFL blew up, were baseball, boxing, and horse racing. And they were during um, the weeks, usually, right? Like those right. boxing matches? Yeah, you could have it any. I mean, the Ali Frazier fight was on a Monday night. Uh, <laughs> that would never happen, did I? March, March of 1971. And, you know, Stan Ackman, our late great columnist at the Daily News, told me to this day, that's the largest largest selling daily news in history the day after the, the Ali Frazier fight, you know, I, I, maybe 400,000 or whatever the number would have been. So, yeah, I mean, look, everything has changed. Obviously newspapers are not like that anymore with the way we get our news and sports is different. Yeah. I, I don't see it happening. I think, I think a really, really good heavyweight fight, maybe. Uh, but in the U S it's probably going to take an American. You know, who is that American? Who's going to be that next, uh, uh Wilder is the guy we were thinking of, yes. uh, from Alabama. And I mean, he looked like maybe he was going to be there until, until Fury beat him up. So yeah, it, 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 and, and I can't tell you Kyle, how big a deal it was mm-hmm. the heavyweight championship fight. I mean, everybody wanted to watch it and everybody, the reason they closed circuit started was because of heavyweight boxing. It was such that it just, they said, we're not putting this on regular TV anymore. We can charge people to see this. Now, of course, they'll charge you, but you can sit at home and watch it. Just pay for it on, on pay-per-view at home, watch it on cable. But, yeah, it's uh, I, I don't see that happening. It would probably need somebody like Ali, and I, th- I think there was one of them. I don't think we're going to see another one. Well, now that the YouTubers are fighting, what do you think about that? Yeah, how bizarre is that? So the one, the YouTuber is supposed to fight, uh, fight Floyd Mayweather. Is that correct? It's probably going to do a million plus pay-per-views. I'm sure it will. I mean, I don't know if Floyd is training. And that guy has to have like zero chance, right? I mean, this is like a real boxer. I would say... It's not, I like the, line, it's not, the, best, it's not the basketball player he's fighting. This no, time. he's not fighting the basketball player. And this is the brother of the, of the guy who fought the, of the basketball uh, okay. player. Okay, okay. And, yeah. and Floyd's, like, Floyd's not a tall guy. And he's probably like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, this guy. Oh, so he's definitely oh this guy's 6'2". Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but Floyd never gets hit. Although, I, you know, I, I don't know if Floyd is training. I don't know what he's doing. But the guy was brilliant. I mean, look, my... There's been so many great boxers. But Floyd was ridiculous. I, I, did the guy ever get hit? There was there was nothing fr- more frustrating than paying fifty dollars, seventy five dollars yeah, yeah. for a fight no of Floyd's, yeah, and then yeah. he just dodges for twelve rounds. Yeah, and then eventually he hit a, he throws a few punches and he wins. Uh, look, my favorite guy around here was Bernard Hopkins. I loved everything about Bernard. I loved who he was. I loved his story. I loved how smart he was as a fighter, but he gave you your money's worth when he fought. I mean, he, even the tactical fights, he was so smart in it. But yeah, Floyd was just, yeah, Floyd had one object or two, make money and never lose. And so far he's been perfect at both. Exactly. And then my last question for you, and this is a personal question. I don't care if yeah. anyone doesn't like this question. I went to Temple University. Okay. Yeah. Why can't Temple keep Philly star basketball recruits in Philly? 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question. I think what's happened at Temple, I, I look. I obviously Shani was was a legend, and he had it going to such an extent that it was impossible to duplicate that. But people with good memories will realize Fran Dumpy really did well his first several years. He won three straight Atlantic 10 titles, and he was keeping guys home. What changed was the league. Uh, they went into a league where there's nobody really interested in going to see Tulsa or Central Florida. Uh, it, it went in for football, but basketball is how we identify with them. Exactly. So I think a really hard spot. Because of the league they're in, I think it's just really hard to recruit to it. So, is that the only answer? No, but I think that is an answer. Uh, The Atlantic Town was cool because there were real rivalries. Mm -hmm. You you played St. Joe's, you played LaSalle. The UMass thing was a big deal. George Washington was often good. And they weren't that far away. You could go to the road games. Their fans could come to Temple. I think that's it. And I don't know how that – I'm not sure that's solvable. I hope it is because, look, I think Temple being good is great for the city. And it's just been a while. And I think it's – football and basketball. I went there when football was king. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I actually said the night they played Notre Dame, the legendary game at the link, when they're on national TV, they're undefeated, and they're leading late in the game. I actually said when they were up on three or four or whatever for Notre Dame for the last stand to win, I said they just should have spiked the football, walked off the field, said we're dropping football. We win. Because it's never going to get better than that. But that was awesome. All credit to Matt Rule and, and to get Temple. That, that was a total miracle to get Temple to that spot. And it was great fun to watch it. Oh, college game, game day comes. It's on Halloween. I'm sitting in the end zone. Tyler Maddox yeah. with the interception. Will Miller yeah. back. Oh. Yeah. And, and the coach going for it down. I mean, I loved it. He pushed it perfectly. Yeah, everything was the ending. It was like I was covering it. Bad ending. You could have told me. <laughs> That's a good one on the podcast. You could have told me Deshaun Kaiser was the greatest quarterback of all time, dual threat anyway, because he could gallop. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. that man I've ever seen in person. Yeah, it's, it's funny. That, that was a good Notre Dame. It was like a great team. Good and yeah, you would have thought he'd have been like a really good pro, but it just shows how hard it is to translate from college football to the NFL. It's just such, it's almost like it's a different sport, it's like the NBA and college basketball. I know the hoop is 10 feet, but you watch the games, you go, wait a second, this is not the same sport I watched before. Do you think it's you think it's that we're in the AHC? I mean, Houston goes to the final four, but not really going to do much for the brand and what, yeah, I just a problem specifically you don't ever want to be the northernmost the easternmost the westernmost team in any league now that UConn is out of it yeah uh, Temple is that outlier they're they're the furthest east and where's the what's the rivalry you know Cincinnati Houston Tulsa Tulane and every game every road game is a long trip home I know they're chartering you're getting home in the middle of the night it's it's just to me, and and it's not a, a league that gets a lot of national TV time. And look, that's what Coach Danny did better than anybody else. He was the smartest guy in basketball. He realized we'll play the old, we'll play anybody anywhere, anytime, because he wanted to get on television. He understood the value of it, maybe before anybody did, and and he got there, and then he started getting recruits, and then the kids from Philly wanted to come. Yeah, I mean, look, he missed on a few. I, I know he thought he had Rasheed Wallace. It was really close. His, his buddy be coached them, but when Dean Smith shows up right after winning a national title, it's hard to say no. Uh, but yeah, look, Aaron McKee was a great player. They certainly had some 
really, really good players from Philly. My buddy Mike Frieswick from Morrisville, you know, a great, great player. And, you know, he just and, and Mike and I are good friends, and he he tells shady stories, and I can never get enough shady stories. I have some of my own, but Mike and anybody that played for him, their stories are just endless. And you think Nate Blackwell from Southern, Howie Evans, all the guys from Philly that used to go to Temple that just aren't going there. Did you cover the Calipari press conference with Cheney? Were you with I, did, I did not. This is a great story that Mike Kern was covering it for us. He was their Temple beat writer. And uh, he had gone, it, it, I mean, you've done enough of these. Cheney had his press conference, and that's what you're going to do after that. The home coach comes in next, but you're just going to go to the visiting locker room and talk to Temple players. That's what I would have thought. I would have been there. I would have stayed for Calipari. So he left. And then, of course, all hell breaks loose because John goes out into the hallway. Here's a story about how Calipari was complaining to the refs after the game, even though he won. That's why he stormed back in there, going crazy. And Kern didn't see it. And he calls me later and he goes, you know, what happened? He says, the guy, one of the Temple assistant coaches telling me it's no big deal. I said, yeah, it's no big deal. So it's a story on SportsCenter. And then Kern had the great line. He says, I felt like I was walking out of the school book repository and Lee Harvey Oswald walked by and I missed him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Janie stories are, are a dime a dozen. I wish I wasn't so young when he was when he was there. I was yeah, you know because there will never be anybody like him because he was just, I mean, he was such a unique character. And sadly, guys like him probably didn't get hired today because he's so politically incorrect. But that's why he was so great because he literally would say anything. Uh, and if he took the time to listen, easily one of the smartest people I've ever met. Just great wisdom if you sat down with him. He always told me a story. I said, everybody compared him to Bob Knight. And I, I said, Coach, you're not like him at all. And he said, and he says, I'm the black guy. I said, no, you're not. He said, uh, and I said to him, I said, look, John, you got on the screen a lot. He said, but you know deep down what the deal is. He said, yeah. He says, you know what, you can you can get on guys, but at some point you got to put your arm around them. And that's what John did. He always put his arm around his players. Yeah. I, I, those six practices must have been brutal for those guys. It was, I guess they just, their bodies just got used to it after a while. Uh, but, and half the practices were lectures anyway. Telling stories about who knows. I, I ended up in his uh, ended up in his office one day to a story on Mark Jackson when Mark came back to play for the Sixers, and uh, we end up. He shows me. Spends the whole day showing me how to microwave corn. It's like so. I end up writing about microwaving corn. I, I might have mentioned Mark Jackson in the story, but I doubt it. <laughs> but that was John. You never knew where it was going. You just had to roll with it and see where he took you. Man, from from meeting Muhammad Ali to covering Triple Crown winners to microwaving corn with uh <laughs> you've seen it all it's been, it's been an amazing run um, every time i think about it i just say man i really got a chance to go to all those events i mean 25 25 final fours uh 31 i covered and yeah so so many huge events world series the only event i never covered was the super bowl i was gone by the time the eagles won but i, th- I think they needed me to get out i was the james I was gone like three months and they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, Dick, this was awesome. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll have you on anytime. These stories were great. Happy to do it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Listen, there's more information on the Kentucky Derby than I've ever gotten in my life. So if you don't <laughs> win, at least have a have a, have a trifecta or pick a winner. I don't know what. You you. So, <laughs> thanks so much for coming. Absolutely, Kyle. Thank you.